Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? It is Wednesday night. It is October 27th, and the Bills are coming off of the bye week. Ryan Talbot joins me as always. I'm Matt Perino. This is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast brought to you by Ryan. Tops, your neighborhood store with more. <laughs> there you go. I put you on the spot. Whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, the Bills, 1 o'clock start. I know most of you will probably be out at the stadium. But if you're not and you're having a party or maybe you want some stuff, for the stadium party, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. You're you're throwing me off here at the start, Ryan. You are sick, you told me, but you sound okay. Yeah, right. You know, right now it's okay. Uh, as the day went on towards the end of my day today, it, it was it was hit and miss. I was uh, losing it a little bit. I'm coughing here and there, but. I went to bed last night at 8 at 8 p.m., so I got a, a good night's rest last night. I'm going to kick this in a day or two. So we're going to talk a ton of bills tonight. We got a lot of stuff to get into. You know, I've, I've been seeing some some trade rumors circulating as, you know, a lot of the national reports start to happen. We, we've, we saw some trades, a, a trade already today, uh, a couple over the last couple of days. Nothing, nothing super uh, marquee, uh, name-grabbing, but... You know, we look at Mark Ingram headed back to the New Orleans Saints and Brandon Cooks, his teammates, I guess were very good friends, was not too happy about it, called it some BS. And rightfully so. I mean, Ryan, we talked about this when the when the Houston Texans hired David Culley. In a lot of ways, I felt at the time he was the fall guy. Like this was going to be an absolute rip it down, tear it up. The latest report uh, around the Deshaun Watson situation is that he is uh, the, the the Dolphins and well, there was an earlier report that the Dolphins and the Texans had agreed on compensation, but because of the legal issues, they didn't want to go through with the deal until they got a firm grasp from the league on what the suspension would look like. Then a report came out and said, "Well, now Miami's kind of like you know we don't because we don't know that they they can't come to terms." on the deal and the Texans aren't willing to waver. I always feel like this, like we have all these like circulating rumors and you're hoping for like a big uh, trade deadline that never really materializes in the NFL, but there are some moves that I think can happen out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe it won't be with the Bills. I, I did see in the chat here Hayden Hurst or Kyle Fuller. Um, you know, Fuller, I think, is going to get moved one way or the other. Two snaps, two games ago, no snaps on Thursday night football, despite being healthy. Hurst is kind of just that third tight end in Atlanta in a weird spot. So there, there's certainly some players that could get moved to to teams that are looking, uh, contenders that are looking for the right pieces. But there's just been some bizarre moves in general, Matt. Uh Denver acquiring a starting linebacker from the Rams. The Rams, who are 6-1, and one, looking like a legit Super Bowl contender, give up one of their starters. They say it had to do with uh, finances, so I- I'm assuming maybe they're going to try to pull off a trade here before the deadline. They've, they've made a lot of big, splashy moves over the years, but mm-hmm. that one kind of was a head-scratcher. But you're right. There might not be that marquee player, but teams are looking to add pieces that are going to maybe put them over the top or just give them a little bit extra protection and depth like Mark Ingram back to the Saints. Welcome into the Shout Podcast, everybody. We've been off uh, about a week here with the the bye week. We got to take a couple days off, recharge the batteries. The Bills did that as well. Some people got away. Some people didn't. And it's funny listening to Sean McDermott talk about what the bye week is for him. It's like sometimes, you know, for football guys, I mean, you can unplug only so much. Uh, I'd imagine that that loss was probably still... you know, sitting with him over the course of the buy, I'm sure he was uh, knee deep in in some film study over the course of the offs or of the bye week. We're gonna get into your questions. If you have them, drop them in the chat. Like this video, subscribe to the channel as well. We're cooking. I think we can get to five thousand by that midway point of the season. I know it's kind of gonna be a lull here, Ryan. Right? Because it's like game after game after game. It's just gonna be like, uh, all right, Bills. How how much are you gonna impress us here? Right? Because you're playing a bunch of uh, you know. Bomb teams. I mean, let's be honest. Outside of the Colts, the next three against the Jags, who are playing a little bit better, but still a team you should pretty much go out there and dominate. The Dolphins, one and six. The Jets, who are an absolute train wreck, who made Mac Jones look like a pro bowler over the weekend. You know, this is a, a stretch of games where it's like, it's kind of like a no win situation, if you will, because as much as you blow out any of these teams from a national perspective, the narrative around the Bills doesn't change much. No, I mean, listen, you have to be seven and two after those next three games, though. You're, you're currently at four and two. You mentioned you have Miami coming to town, a team that Sean McDermott has dominated uh, in his time as Bill's head coach. Jacksonville, who, yeah, they're, they're playing a little bit better, but the talent level isn't even close between Buffalo and Jacksonville. And then a Jets team where you're probably not going to see Zach Wilson. I can't guarantee that the timeline for his injury is two to four weeks. Uh, but I really think they're going to be cautious with him and, and go closer to that four-week time frame. So you're going to miss Zach Wilson that first game. It's either going to be Mike White or Joe Flacco, who they just traded for. Uh, either way, that that's a scenario where the Bills should be able to defeat them as well. And then you're right. Then, you know, I, I think you're going to get a Colts team that's playing pretty decent football. I know that rainstorm game was not a good indicator of that. Uh, very sloppy moments from Carson Wentz and things, but I thought they should have knocked off the Ravens a few weeks ago. They're playing a little bit better, and they're trending in the right direction right now. Really good question from Omar here in the chat. I want to get to that in a little bit, but I want to start with the AFC picture as a whole. Like I, I feel like establishing a base before we get into some of our th- early Miami Dolphins thoughts, maybe some some topics around the Bills I think that we could talk about tonight uh, will be interesting. Uh, Julian uh, on YouTube, did I see a TV commercial for the Shout podcast? You did. And if you see one of those commercials, I want you to get out your phone and record it for. I mean, we can all rewind TV, right? I've not seen the full edition of it yet, like Same. from a, a TV situation. Some people have, have sent me clips 
But yeah, the uh, there's an ad that's running uh, in the Western New York area. And you first saw it on ESPN Plus, right, Ryan, from a friend of yours? A friend, yeah. A friend said it was on ESPN Plus. I've had a few other people say Spectrum TV is airing it. And uh, tonight I picked up my son from a Halloween dance that he had uh at school and one of my former high school classmates had bumped into her and she goes hey i just saw you on tv so it's airing but like you i have not seen the full deal yet i really i can't wait to see it so like matt said if you catch it rewind record that thing tag us in it and let us uh see that full commercial so let's get into how things sit in the afc here right now going into week eight the bills Obviously, get their buy. They're they're not going to get any more breaks the rest of the way. But I kind of want to take stock in where we're at here. We have a huge, massive uh, division altering win for the Cincinnati Bengals over the weekend. Where I feel like at this point, they're the odds-on favorite for me to win the AFC North. You go into Baltimore, that completely flips things around in that division. The Cleveland Browns are going to be there. At three and three, I know the Pittsburgh Steelers haven't looked good, but I'm not willing to count out Mike Tomlin either. I think that that's going to be a division where those teams tend to beat up on each other. So as much as Cincinnati went into Baltimore and it was a good matchup on a good day and they did some really good things, I could see them going and losing to the Browns. I could see them going and losing to the Steelers. You know, I think that the problem in that division is that it's such a, a competitive division that I think the AFC East would be in, in in a normal year. I just think that the talent level is not there for at least two of the three other teams. And that's why, you know, I saw some some posts this week. The reasons I'm starting here is, are the Cincinnati Bengals the best team in the AFC? I was listening to a podcast, and that's one of the things. I can't believe I'm saying this, but are they? I think we should slow down. It was one game. It was one really good game, and I think Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase, the early returns on Jamar Chase, Ryan, he is spectacular. I tweeted it the other day. He may be the best receiver already in the NFL. Like, that's not hyperbole. I mean, the, what he's done, the only other guy to ever do what he's done to start his career is Randy Moss. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny. It, it reminds you of preseason overreactions and, and leading going into week one it was this guy can't catch the football. Uh, and you heard from him saying, well, you know, I'm not used to catching the football without having those white stripes on it from college and, and things like that. Week one hits. He, he goes off last week. He, he went, you know, another huge game. Uh, I, I started in one of my dynasty leagues this year and I, I picked up Burrow and Chase in that draft. And I am feeling like an early genius to have that connection uh, because they do look great. But in, in terms of where they stand in the AFC, I agree with you. I think that they're a young team. They're in a really tough division. They're going to have a few more losses sprinkled in between now and the end of the year. So I'm not ready to put them in the, at that top spot. I think the same can be said for all the teams in the AFC West, minus Denver, who's finally fallen back to earth. Mm-hmm. The Raiders are, are better than I thought they were going to be. And, and I know there's usually that one or two game window when you change a head coach and there's a little bit of players coming out and playing for that guy. But they've looked good pretty good all season and they're at five and two and we know that the Chargers have already knocked off the Chiefs and the Chiefs despite all their woes they're still going to win some games here and there so they're going to beat up on each other I think it might really come down to the Bills and the Titans and I know the Titans won that game Matt but I went back and I watched that game and and really uh, I think nine times out of ten the Bills win that game especially when you look at the points that were taken off the board for them the red zone struggles Josh Allen uh, slipping the offensive line uh, getting blown up on that final play. I, I really think that nine times out of 10, the Bills win that game. I agree. And we've, we've covered this. We did a couple, uh, did we, uh, we did a couple, um, Twitter spaces 
Uh, and if you're not on that, I mean, really get it, get involved. When you're on Twitter, you'll see at the top of the page in the app. And I know some people don't like to be on Twitter and I get that. And most of these are, you know, YouTube, Facebook, but the, the cool thing about that is it's like a, it's actually like a, a, a chance for you to engage with us verbally. I mean, we can actually bring you into the, the live show there. We do kind of like a Q and a type of situation. We've been doing them before the games, but I'm, I've been trying to do them throughout the week as well. Uh, we'll probably do one more this week and then the one before the game. Uh, definitely get there. But yeah, I, I think we talked a lot about red zone today and, you know, I, I asked Josh Allen about it. Then I asked Stefan Diggs about it. And the big takeaway was it's just, it, it comes down to execution. It's something that both of, both of them already said, but Diggs kind of elaborated on it a little bit. And it's just like these little things that aren't happening, like two plays in the red zone before they ever get to that fourth and one situation, you know, he, he put it on the receivers. We could have executed on our route a little bit better. We could have made a play in that moment. And, you know, the field does shrink a little bit, right? Like when you get down into that part of the field and, you know, Jeremiah talked about it last week on the show, but I think that that's something that the confidence level there is, or the confidence level is there for the bills office. Josh Allen said, I think we were pretty good in red zone last year. They ranked about 12th. Um, but I think they went five for nine in the playoffs in the red zone. So this is a team that has executed in that area and they still have Josh Allen, who I think is so hard to stop. If you put him in, in the right situation in that moment with the turf, the way that it was, it just wasn't. I mean, it was a slippery night out there. Yeah. And you mentioned it, you know, maybe you got to get Josh Allen going a little bit more as a runner in the red zone to keep those defenses honest uh, because when the field shrinks like that, it makes it harder for those receivers to run open. So if you have Allen as more of a rushing threat down there, you can have that in play, get Moss and Singletary going. This might even be an opportunity for Isaiah McKenzie to get some more work uh, closer to the goal line, put him in the backfield, which we've seen them do a few times this year, uh, get him moving, maybe give him an end around. We saw the Bills do something similar with Dawson Knox in that Titans game, get called back on a holding penalty, that, but it would have gone for a touchdown otherwise. So th- there's little wrinkles, little things they can add in. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, again, over this next three-game stretch that we talked about, Matt, I think this is a really good opportunity to get your red zone woes out of the way uh, and get back on track. All right, so we had a question in the chat. I want to get there next because I think that talking about how this offensive line could look here moving forward. I know that they they made the uh, shift to Spencer Brown before the bye. Um, Omar S. brings up an interesting question. Is is Bobby Johnson on the hot seat after this year, do you think? And it's, it's something interesting that you, you probably don't think too much about until you see it on, on the screen like that. But, you know, having some conversations and, you know, Spencer Brown popping up on the injury report, you start to kind of – think about what are the options should the bills kind of suffer some injuries um setbacks if if spencer brown's play falls off a little bit of a cliff at some point hits a rookie wall what are your options where do you go from there and you know a lot of people are asking about like the trade down deadline and bringing in players and i get all that like don't get me wrong but i think they have a lot of players that this regime at one point or another had a lot of belief in where where do things stand with Cody Ford right now, could he be somebody that if a team calls and is looking for offensive line help that the bills are willing to move him? at first, I think it was, it was John Scott. I was talking to him from spectrum news on the sideline today about it. Credit to him for, for bringing it up. And then when he did bring it up, it's like at first thought, I'm like, no, I don't think that they're going to trade him. I still think he's valuable depth depth. He could play guard and tackle, but the more you start to think about it, the more you start to think about I think that they're at the end point of, of their belief in Cody Ford. I think everything that they've done to this point shows that. Now, at the same time, this is something I brought up, and let me bounce this off of you, Ryan. 
I wonder if there's any fear when it comes to Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott or whoever to move on from another young offensive lineman, considering what we see, what we saw happen with Wyatt Teller and the way that he developed in Cleveland. And to a lesser extent, not so much a young player, more of a veteran cutting ties with Quentin Spain after that debacle at the beginning of last Mm -hmm. season. He's playing some really good football in Cincinnati right now. The the offensive linemen who have left the Bills, a couple of them at least, have gone on to do some pretty big things so far. Yeah, that you raise a great point. You know, Wyatt Teller, there wasn't enough tape on him at the time. The Bills had a lot of veteran talent and depth. I don't think that they necessarily misevaluated him. They were able to get two draft picks back for for the player. Um, but I, I would, you know, I'm sure in retrospect, they would have loved to have seen some more tape on him to realize how good he could be. And then they would have been able to find a spot for him. Quinn Spain, you know, he, he was up and down in his time in Tennessee. He had some really good playing time in Buffalo for a while. And then you mentioned it, though. I think debacle is the perfect word for how things ended here in Buffalo. Uh, he gets let go and now he's playing pretty good football for the Bengals. So, you know, you, you have to realize that sometimes it's the system. Sometimes it is the talent. Uh, and, and if you do lose another one of those players, well, then you might be scratching your head saying, well, what's the problem here that two guys already have left and have been performing well? And if a guy like Ford were to go in and play well or at a high level, why is it that they're playing better elsewhere? Is it something with the system itself? Is it something with the cohesiveness? Uh, what are they missing? Because they they do have some good pieces on this line between Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse. And I saw someone in the comments mention maybe moving, um, getting Spencer Brown out of the lineup and, and moving Daryl Williams back. I wouldn't do that yet. You know, I know Spencer Brown had some rough moments in that last matchup, but I thought he had a lot, lot of really good moments too. Uh, so you, you have some good pieces there, but as a whole line, they're still giving up a lot of pressures. Josh Allen has to allude to a guy here and there. There, Someone's getting beat from time to time. So I think that's a valid point, but uh, if the right offer did come along for Cody Ford, I think the Bills would, would think long and hard about it. The Spencer Brown injury is interesting. The fact that he didn't practice today in a, in a back injury, that kind of raises alarm bells. And what does happen should he not be able to go even this week against Miami? And if it's an injury where you know, you're at all concerned about it. You may, you may dial things back a little bit and even, you know, proceed with caution and keep them out just to be careful in that scenario. What is the situation? Do you, do you ever entertain an idea here with Cody Ford still on the roster? And he is right now. I would say it's probably 95 to 99% sure that he's going to be past the trade deadline, barring some crazy offer that the bills get for him. And that's another thing. I, I I'm I'm a little bit curious at what his trade value is right now because of how the up and down nature. I know that people always want, you know, young offensive linemen and a and a change of scenery. We obviously saw what happened with with Wyatt Teller. But if Brown can't play, the best option in my opinion is probably flipping Daryl Williams back outside and then, you know, playing Cody Ford, Ike Bucker, who I think, you know, might 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 deserve an opportunity over Cody Ford now because of the fact that he was benched and he's a guy that started games for them last year. You know that they trust him in that situation. I I probably lean Butker. Yeah, I I would lean Butker as well because of the starting experience of playing time that he has. Um, You know, you're you're kind of going back to a lineup and it wasn't quite the same because Butker was replacing Feliciano last year, but Mm -hmm. at least you're getting your most experienced lineman in guys that you, you still have a certain level of trust in. Um, I think that's the way it goes. You do have to move Darrell Williams back outside if Brown's back does not allow him to play on Sunday. That's just the best option. You really don't want to mess with 
putting someone else out there, especially putting Josh Allen at risk of taking a, a hit, things like that. So so go with people that you trust the most. And in that case, Ike Butker would be the next man up, in my opinion, as well. All right. Where do we want to go next here, Mr. Talbot? You got something that's probably... Yeah, I just put something up actually on on the site tonight about uh, Halloween records, and I know it doesn't mean much, but the Bills are two and four on Halloween in their history. Um, a lot of bad luck, some overtime losses, things like that. They're going against a Miami Dolphins team though that is six and zero, oh, a perfect six and zero oh on Halloween. So you know a streak's going to end here on, on Sunday. Either the Miami Dolphins Halloween streaks is going to end, or Buffalo's six game win streak against the Dolphins is going to end and end. You know, based on the talent, based on the teams that we're going to see, I think uh, Miami's Halloween record is a, is at a much greater risk than Buffalo's. But you just never know. It's a uh, any given Sunday type league. But yeah, we have some streaks in play here on Sunday, Matt. Back to the Bobby Johnson thing for a quick moment, just because I feel like we did pass that over and I didn't really answer the question. No, I don't think his his job necessarily is in jeopardy. I think it's more about hitting on some of these young players now. You know, Spencer Brown is the guy that obviously stands out, but Tommy Doyle is a big time developmental piece. I mean, you know, Jack Anderson, you know, for the Bills, they lost him to the Eagles. Um, they got a couple young guys in the in the pub, pipeline at tackle. They'll probably, you know, bring in another interior player, uh, whether it be through the draft or or in free agency in the offseason. I think that they're gonna give him some time. So I think what his what he's been able to do in in getting the run game to where it is, his involvement there helps him out a lot. And plus he's just a guy that I think is, is pretty well liked in the room and 2020, you could say what you want about that. There were the, the run game took a um, step back. Um, I think it's come back. I think they've responded in a lot of ways. And, the, and an interesting stat that I saw this week, Ryan gone back and looking at some of the advanced numbers for the bills. And ways that comes down to is like, you know, Josh Allen, you know, teams are first of all, not blitzing the bills. They're one of the least, blitzed against offenses in the NFL. So teams know, listen, we got to just hope and pray, get back in in some type of zone, or even if we play man, like get some pressure with four. He's getting pressure. He's getting touched a little bit, but the sack numbers are unbelievable. So there's a combination effect there. Part of it is what this offensive line has been able to do. I think at times they've been really good in pass protection over the first uh, month, month and a half of the season. The other piece is you have Josh Allen and he's become quite a, um, Come quite a matador back there. And there's been a ton of guys flying by him this year. Uh, we're going to get to Bigfoot's uh, uh, question here. But, yeah, I, I don't see Bobby Johnson as being in any danger at this point. Yeah, I think maybe in another year, if we're still seeing some struggles, if someone else is playing well elsewhere, the, the Bills are still kind of we're, – we're having this discussion one year from now, maybe because the Super Bowl window – uh, you, you know, it's only open for so many years. I know as long as you have Josh Allen, there's a chance, but th- this roster from top to bottom has the talent to make a Super Bowl run. So you, you want to make sure that you have the best coaches and, and the best uh, players across the board. But this year, no, I don't see him being in danger either. Bigfoot uh, brings a question in the chat here. Why don't they use motor Devin Singletary uh, more in the red zone? Watching his highlights in college where he scored 55 touchdowns was impressive. And I will say, like, first of all, sure. Yeah. Devin Singletary was a really dynamic player in college, but he played at uh, F- Florida Atlantic and the level of competition a little bit different. And now with that said, I've liked the way that Devin Singletary has run a, a small sample size, six games. It's um, a split backfield with Zach Moss, but he's had a couple big time runs. He's had some physical runs. Uh, I like some of the numbers that, you know, if you set, if you dive into it a little bit, you know, the yards after contact, 
they've they've sprung up a little bit in recent weeks. And I think Devin Singletary has, you know, a little bit to do with that. I think in general, they have to be a little bit more confident in their run game in the red zone in general. I mean, that's where I kind of sit on it. I've I've often used Zach Moss in this uh, exercise, but I think you go with that. Give Devin Singletary a couple of shots. I, I don't remember the last time thinking about it out loud. When's the last time Devin Singletary had a red zone carry? I can't even think of it off the top of my head. No, off the top of my head, I can't think of it either. And, and listen, I'm sure they're going to come back post bye week here and try a few new things in terms of uh, giving Singletary some opportunities or, or just mixing in the run a little bit more than they have, or maybe not being as predictable with how they're going to uh, go out of the, the red zone or go when they have plays in the red zone. But Singletary deserves a shot. He, he's elusive. He can make you miss. Uh, maybe even if it's just like a quick pass out to him and, and then get him some open space to start out with, that might benefit him as well. So uh, I think it's in play. You're right. In college, lower competition, but he he did shine in those areas where, where he could make guys miss, get into the end zone. Uh, and that's at the end of the day, what you want with this Bills team is to score more touchdowns because uh, again, you go back to the Titans game, missed opportunities galore there for them. Uh, they convert on one or two of those and that game's out of, you know, it's already over and it doesn't have to go down to a QB sneak late in the game. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. We appreciate you joining us on this Wednesday night, a couple days before Halloween. Uh, our buddy uh, Josh Reed uh, tweeted out, uh, "We're, we're going to have we're going to be busy on Sunday, so I won't be trick or treating on Sunday, but I will be getting out on Saturday. So we're looking for uh, different things to go do. I was going to go to this thing in Kenmore, and then I saw that it's going to probably rain quite a bit." Uh, on Saturday. So we're kind of calling an audible. And I think we're going to try to do Eastern Hills mall has like an indoor uh, event going on. So we'll go through there. They got a lot of fun things. And and the themes are um, frozen Two, which my daughter, I mean, she's, she's ready. She's ready for some Elsa time. And then uh, Hocus Pocus, which is a, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's my wife's favorite movie. She has a Hocus Pocus night with her sisters every year. What part does she play? Oh, I don't know what part she plays, but they watch that like every year. And I, she knows every line she, to so it. So she doesn't She's, dress up like a witch? No, 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 uh, no. I'm okay. not going to get myself <laughs> in trouble, Matt. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, but that is her favorite movie and uh, she loves that. So that's a pretty cool theme that they have going on there. I'm sure the kids will like that. Are you dressing up, Matt? Alex Barber in the YouTube chat says, never heard of those films. Get out, Alex. Get out. No way. Are you kidding me? You have your head underneath a pillow first of all if you never heard of hocus pocus at this point you literally just hate halloween and you should be best friends with nate geary anyway that's another whole story <laughs> i digress um hocus pocus is the greatest dawn says uh indeed i am dressing up and that's okay alex you don't have kids i i understand i i never really watched animated stuff for a big stretch of time when i didn't have kids but as soon as i had kids like we got right back into like i think i like fell off at like lion king and then i picked up at like frozen like that was my like my gap and I had to catch up on some things and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So wait, what are you dressing up as? Oh, I thought you were going to forget about that. Okay. Oh, no, no, so, no, no. So I have a Halloween party to go to on Friday and it's John Scott's and Heather Prusak's. And I feel like I have to dress up as something, but I don't really want to. 
but I don't want to be that party pooper guy. So I got to figure out something. Caitlin can't go because we can't find a babysitter. So she's super uh, bummed. Plus, she's it's her second week back at work, and you know she's she's going to be exhausted. So that's that's going to be a rough turnaround. And she's she's crazy. We're getting a little bit off topic here. I'll I'll, I'll digress. But I'm being Buzz Lightyear with the kids on Friday because yes. Kennedy's being Jesse, and then my son is in a big Harry Potter phase, so he will be Harry himself. From hot-to-go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, to delicious salads and brownie trays, Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Head over to, to Tops this week, this weekend. Get yourself stocked up. All right, so Dawson Knox is where I want to go next. Sean McDermott today did not commit to a timeline of any sort. I actually asked him straight up, is there a timeline? And he said, no, uh, I don't know where we're at long-term. He ruled them out officially for this week, which I think we all – you know, figured that he'd be out this week. Saw him out at practice today and he only has like a wrap on there. It's not like a mm. brace or anything or like a cast. So I think this is a good sign that the report that came out from Mike Garofolo a couple of days ago, this is going to be like a three week t- kind of thing. He's got a shot and that would put him back right around the Jets game, maybe uh, the Colts game, which is good news. But without Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney enters the chat and uh, we got a chance mm. to talk to everybody about him and this dude is really well liked in the locker room. And, it, you know, we've talked about him on this podcast many a times. If you've been a longtime listener, you know uh, our thoughts on Tommy Sweeney. I think this is a role that he's built for the guy that can kind of come in off the bench when the starter, the star is, is banged up and produce at a pretty high level. You know, sneaky thing that I've heard a couple guys talk about, Stefan Diggs specifically today, is you wouldn't notice it by looking at him. I mean, he's got the long hair. He's into the red hot chili peppers and the Grateful Dead and all this. And But he is he's sneaky, a, tech, a technician in, in terms of his route running ability, his uh, reliability as a pass catcher. I think that the athletic profile, while not the same, I think Tommy Sweeney gets slept on a little bit in terms of what he can do on a football field. Yeah. You know, he's not going to be Dawson Knox, but he can come in. He can get a few catches per game, two or three, maybe. uh, And those could be in the red zone. Those could be all over the field. It's going to be interesting to see who steps up in these next few weeks with Dawson Knox out. And it might be Sweeney. Sweeney might be the guy that makes a few big catches over that time frame. It could be Gabriel Davis, who we've seen here and there, one catch, 20 yards, one catch, whatever the case may be. Um, he's kind of been the forgotten man. It could just be more more targets for Cole Beasley in the slot. You just don't know. Uh, but I really do think that Tommy Sweeney can come in in this short time span, especially when you look at the competition that they're playing over these next few weeks. He can step in. He can fill that role. He can do a good enough job to help the Bills get by these next few teams until Dawson Knox is ready to get back into action. Yeah, so uh, Craig in, on YouTube uh, asked, is AJ back this week? AJ Epinesa, um, to be determined, Ryan Talbot. Yeah, to be determined, but listen, I, I get what they were doing in that Titans game. You wanted to be more stout up front, slow down Derrick Henry. Harrison Phillips, to his credit, had one of the two quarterback hits and pressures uh, on Ryan Tannehill, but he is arguably one of your best, if not the best pass rusher in terms of pressures, uh, making the quarterback move off of his spot. I know it hasn't shown up in the sack department yet, but you go back to that first Miami game, no one had more success in that game than A.J. Epinesi. He had nine pressures. He was making a you know a living out of beating up that uh, Dolphins offensive line. So 
if he is not active in this game, it's going to be a real head scratcher. There's going to have to be some questions asked post game, regardless of the outcome. Even if the Bills won again in, in blowout fashion, why is AJ Epineza not on the field when we we've seen those flashes, those bursts from him, especially based on the matchup that is uh, coming up here on Sunday? What do you think? On Knox, uh, a little bit of a, I saw a question here that I wanted to answer before uh, I answer your uh, question, uh, tossing it to me, if you will. There's a little bit of a wrap on his hand. I feel like it was almost on his wrist, leading down to his knuckles. It was hard to see he was wearing a long sleeve shirt, but it definitely looked much less than I was expecting to see. I thought I'd see at least some type of brace or something to kind of keep the hand uh from from being able to be mobile and it, he just didn't have that on. So we'll see. But with Epinesa, like to your earlier point, Ryan, like I I am kind of surprised at what they were doing. Like like benching him. Like I, I I get it. Like, but I think sometimes you can get a little bit too cute with all of this. You know what I mean? I think it sometimes it comes down to you invest in a player and you give that player a chance to to play. And I think AJ Epinesa, even if he was if he wasn't playing at the highest level, I think that the the difference level between what um Effie Obata brings, I think that we've now learned emphatically on the edge compared to what Epinesa has the potential of bring to bring. I think Epinesa has just got a higher ceiling, even right now, where he is it is in his career compared to where Effie is. That's not to say that Effie's not a good player. I like Effie Obata. I like when they bring him in and and let him kind of move alongside the move along the def, the defensive line a little bit and make some some different plays. But I think that AJ AJ Epinesa has to be active every week. I think it was too soon to make that move, but it also tells me that I think that there might have been a message intended there by that move to maybe mm-hmm. remind AJ Epinesa that despite having one really good game, this is a seventeen week marathon and this isn't something where you're going to show up for one game and then not show up for a couple and then you know have it be an up and down type of thing we need consistent production from you and the problem with this is too ryan this goes back to my biggest point of all and i think we talked about it on the show last week but i'm going to continue to to bang the drum what they did in the offseason at defensive line right now in my opinion with the way that this unit has played as good as they played at times it just doesn't seem like it was enough no, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, they invested in some young guys, and I don't think they're necessarily expected those young guys to step up and step in this year. That being uh, Rousseau and Basham, and, and being like game changers. I think they were expecting them to get better as the year went on, but they still th- had high hopes for Hughes and Addison, not just on the field, but also as locker room leaders. You've mentioned F.A. Obata, five and a half sacks last year in Carolina. That would have put him at the top of Buffalo's list. And then obviously A.J. Epinesa in year two. So they have a lot of guys, but they haven't had that one guy that week in, week out has either uh, had sacks or um, been able to get after the quarterback consistently. Jerry Hughes has had his flash. He's beaten his guy, but quarterback keeps getting rid of the ball before he can get there. So he's not getting home. He's probably been the most consistent of that unit. He's still playing at a good level, but yeah, no game changer at that end position. And that's a problem, uh, especially in a very stacked AFC where in the playoffs, you're going to need someone to come through and make that plan. I did see a question here about from Alex. He said he sat to a last time they played Miami. No, but he had nine pressures on uh, Tua, So he was effective in that and regard. He, and he, he made the biggest play of the game. I mean, he knocked right. Tua out of the game, not out of the game with that hit on fourth down. Um, he was pretty much the reason why Rousseau had two sacks in that game. He pretty much drove uh, the quarterback right into Rousseau. So 
it, it didn't always show up on the stat sheet in terms of sacks, but he was very productive that game. Jerry Hughes is pretty much guaranteed to get you some pressures every week. That's just uh, th- that's what this guy has been in his career. That's what he's been in the, during this season. So he had four pressures against the Tennessee Titans. The rest of the Bills team, one from Harrison Phillips, one from Ed Oliver, one from Greg Rousseau, and sit down if you're if you're standing, sit down. One from Tre'Davious White. Okay, so we're talking about an absolute failure as a unit to get pressure on Ryan Tannehill. And to me, if you want to point fingers, that's where I start in that game. Pressures this season. Now, actually, looking at the the Pro Football Reference stats, Jerry Hughes' best game came against the Tennessee Titans with the four pressures, two against the Chiefs, one against Houston, one against Washington, one against Miami, two against Pittsburgh. And I mean, consistency-wise, I still feel like he's probably been the most consistent playmaker, but this just goes to the greater point. There's not enough production on this defensive line right now. Yeah, and you can talk about the interior as well. Uh, I know that you know you're supposed to get it off the edges more than anything else, but you've seen Star get good push, and, and that's not necessarily what his role is meant to be. Uh, I was re- recently rewatching the Houston game, and he had a really nice performance there. At Oliver, he is the guy that you're supposed to be getting uh, a little bit of a push from, and he's been very hit and miss as well. Consistency's been the the key there. He's flashed maybe one or two plays per game, but you're not seeing it over and over again. So it's consistency, it's production, it's not having that guy. And you mentioned it in previous podcasts, Matt. I think they thought that Oliver could be that guy from the interior. They think that Rousseau in a few years could be that guy off the edge. Uh, but he needs time. He, he, you know, he didn't play last year. He does have some really good physical skill set uh, or just natural skills in terms of the the ability to bat passes, use that wingspan to his advantage. But the pass rush arsenal needs a lot of work. And that's something that you get with time, with experience. But the Bills just need someone to step up over this next stretch of games and be a consistent force for them. Um, I saw somebody asking in here. They did make uh, some moves. Austin, uh, Tim on YouTube, Austin Jackson getting moved to left guard. Liam Eichenberg at left tackle. Uh, will we have the same success rushing against Tua? And I don't know. I mean, literally the Bills had about as perfect a game rushing a passer as you could have last time around. I don't know if I would expect that level of production, but I still think that they should have a lot of success. Jesse Davis on the right side, uh, he leaves a lot to be desired. And I think that, you know, that's where AJ Epinesa, Greg Rousseau are going to be doing a lot of their work. But, you know, something else came up. uh, You know, I was reading an article from Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano uh, earlier today. And Graziano actually wrote, I have it up here, uh, Buffalo has some pass rushers people have their eyes on. Guys such as Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, he named specifically. The Bills could theoretically spare one. Could they spare one? Let's ask, I want to talk about that question, but we'll continue. But a team would have to make it worth their while, of course. The defensive line depth is important as they look ahead to a likely postseason run. Well, first of all, I don't think it's a likely postseason run at this point. I think it is a postseason run. It just depends on where they finish. Uh, it'll, it would have to be something crazy that happens uh, for that. And now, I, I guess, knock on wood for Bill's fan's sake. Uh, <laughs> what, what are you putting on us, right, uh, is something I'm sure somebody would say. Uh, you know, Josh Allen potentially getting hurt or something like that, something catastrophic. But I want to start with, could the Bills spare a Jerry Hughes or 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 Mario Addison? 
Not unless they had another move uh, waiting in the back, like waiting in the wings, so to speak. So, you know, I mentioned Emmanuel Ogba from Miami because they're playing them this Sunday. It'll be the second time they play. They won't see each other again this He's year. Balling. Final year. Of, yeah, He's final year of his contract. Year. He's playing great ball. So if they wanted to swing a trade for a guy like that, then maybe then then they could send away a Mario Addison or, a, you know, a Hughes. And if you send away an Addison, you're not going to get a... Um, monumental return by any stretch of the imagination. You're going to have to give up more for an Agba. But at the end of the day, if the Bills think that that's a significant upgrade, then then maybe you do. You move one guy in, one guy out. I don't see it being Hughes. I, I know that you're maybe not seeing the sack numbers that you want out of him, but he is still pretty consistent being his guy. It seems like he's held all the time that they just go on called for whatever reason. Um, I just wouldn't. I would be surprised. He's also a locker room leader. He's been here such a long time, someone that this coaching staff really believes in. So that would surprise me. But yeah, if you got rid of a guy like this, I think that you'd have to have another move that you, you plan on pulling off before the deadline, kind of like going back to that Rams trade. I don't know why you trade a starting linebacker to a team that's clearly in a rebuild uh, in, in Denver. Cause you know, they're, they won their first three, but they've looked awful since unless you have another move that you're going to pull off here in the near future. I don't think that the Bills are really in the business at this stage right now plucking guys out of the lineup that, for better or for worse, they at least trust in certain game settings. I mean, you know, look at Jerry Hughes. He's been a playoff performer the last two years. I thought he was probably in the argument for best player on the field. But I think that, you know, Jerry Hughes is a guy that I think they trust when it gets to January. And when the games get tougher and the matchups get tougher, he's somebody that to pluck him out of this lineup is going to, it's going to mean a return. And I I think a return bigger than Emmanuel Agba. I mean, I think that's the kind of move that sets up a premier pass rusher that you think you could take a run at. Do you convince a Chicago to talk Khalil Mack? Now the numbers would have to, to line up. I know Jerry Hughes is making a lot of money that frees up some of it. But you'd still probably have to do some gymnastics to make that fit in, depending on what kind of contract. I mean, innocent. Let me play out this crazy scenario: the Bills trade Jerry Hughes for a a, a draft pick, you know, a, a fourth or a third, whatever, whatever that that quality uh, at his age will 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 yield. And then in a uh, you turn around and send a two and a one with Mario Addison and maybe another player to turn around and trade for Khalil Mack. And then you say, okay, we're going to build this thing around the the core young guys, maybe give an opportunity to Boogie Basham, but we know down in and down out, we now have one of the premier pass rushers in this game. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've had a lot of Bills fans in my uh, Twitter comments asking about Khalil Mack. Th- there's always a player that you're shocked gets moved. I don't know if it would be Khalil Mack, but you, you look at the situation that Chicago's in, they should at least be listening and considering it. Uh, I don't know if you, you watched that game against the Buccaneers on Sunday on our, our bye week, but it was bad. It, it was really, really bad. I saw comments. I almost wrote an article about Bears fans kind of sitting there realizing maybe Mitch Trubisky wasn't their, their issue. It might have been the coaching staff. Trubisky somehow got that team or helped get that team to the playoffs for two years. Now, mind you, the defense was a lot better in Chicago during his tenure there as well. You know, they're quickly realizing Matt Nagy's an issue there. Uh, there are some talent level issues compared to some of the better teams in the NFC. So if they're serious about building that team up the right way around Justin Fields, if that GM maybe wants to keep his job uh, and build around Fields where maybe Matt Nagy's the odd man out at the end of the year, 
then you have to consider any and all options. It, it would be a stunner. It would be a game changer. It would give the Bills that scary pass rusher that every team would have to account for in the playoffs. That's something they have not had in a long, long time. Obviously, Bruce Smith comes to mind, uh, but there's only one Bruce Smith when it comes to being that pass rusher, as we saw on social media with uh, all of his tombstones for the sacks that he's collected. But it it would be quite the move if they could bring in a, a player of that caliber because it would address the biggest issue left for this team, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and listen, I'm not I'm not suggesting that this is even in the cards. I think a big time shakeup like this for a team that's sitting really nicely in the AFC uh title picture right now is sometimes a little bit more madden than it is real life. I, I get the the idea behind it because I've made the argument on this show several times that I think the pass rush needs to be better. But with that said, I don't think that they're gonna, you know, change the chemistry up that much. I mean, you're banking on a guy coming in as good as a player like Khalil Mack is, and it meshing right away and it working right away uh, as the heater goes on in the background. We're bringing the heat on this shout uh, football podcast, Ryan. I don't know if you can hear it. Um, I see a lot of comments in here about wanting the offensive line addressed, and I got to tell you something. I went back and watched a couple Jacksonville games because I know they're coming up on the schedule. I don't think Andrew Norwell is that much of an upgrade on John Feliciano. I know he is the whipping boy of Bill's Mafia. He's a nice player. But if you're sitting here saying you got to give up a, a, a draft pick for a guy that I don't even think is necessarily a massive upgrade at the position, and they still like a lot of guys that they have in the mix. If it's not Feliciano, I think they like Butker. Uh, I think that Ryan Bates is a guy that I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they give him a chance. I just I don't see it on on the offensive line as much as everybody else. But, you know, maybe you have a different opinion. I like Norwell. Uh, I like the talent there. But I think that uh, it was said well last week. Just about every team in the NFL is looking for offensive line help. It's going to be really hard to be able to uh, get that difference maker, get someone that can come in. And you mentioned it with Khalil Mack in that hypothetical situation. It'd be just as hard to get a starting guard in here uh, and expect them to mesh right out of the gate uh, over the the a very important stretch of the season, get into the playoff mode, all that. So it, it's tough. And I know you don't want to hear, well, just sit on your hands and go with the guys that you have. But the Bills do like some of the guys that they have. And you mentioned like Bucker being the, that top choice. So the, the Bills could make a move. I just don't know if it'll be a splashy move that'll get the fan base too, you know, overly excited necessarily. All right. So let's bring in Sarah Holland. What do you got for us tonight, Sarah? So I just want to first say that if anyone is going to the game on Sunday, I will be at the tailgate. I'm going to be walking around and getting some clips, videos, pictures of fans, you know, dressed up for Halloween and their bill stuff. So if anyone's interested in getting on camera, maybe a quick interview with me or a picture to be featured on um, Syracuse.com, just tweet me where you'll be at. And I'm going to do my best to get to everyone that I can. It's definitely going to be a lot of walking. So um, I'll try my best to get to everyone and um, get you featured on Syracuse.com. So I was thinking a little bit about this uh, because you mentioned the walking around and it would be pretty funny if we can get you like one of those little scooters like they have in um, like a lot of the big cities now. Like I was in Nashville and literally seeing people whiz by me as I'm walking down the sidewalks and the street. They're on these like little like... um, uh, they're just like little uh, scooters. They're crazy, but they, they're supercharged, dude. Like, I'm like, there's going to be an accident here. Somebody's going to get taken out. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of scaring me. Have you seen this before? Yeah. 
Yeah. You, you mean big cities like Ole and New York? We have those too. The bird scooters, they fly. The bird scooters. You have bird scooters in Olean? We, oh, <laughs> that's right. That's it's, it's Nashville, Olean, all the big all the big <laughs> cities, all the, all the big places. Well, you got me intrigued, Mr. Talbot, because I'm coming there for UB Bana. I made the decision. We're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, we're the best of friends, but on that night we will be enemies. We will sit next to each other and watch the bulls and the Bonnies go at it on the hardwood. But listen, from your house, I want to park at the cut. We're going to go get a couple birds and we're going to fly up to the arena and that we'll, maybe we'll even live stream it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to have them out in December. I think that's going to be a bold move on their part if they did. And then I think the headline is going to read, local man breaks neck in scooter accident, if so. So uh, I'll watch you if they have them out, and, and I will cheer you on. But I don't think December and that ice is a, a good scenario for me on one of those bird scooters. So what is your best email address, Sarah, that people can reach out if they want to, you to come to their tailgate on Sunday? Um, you can reach out to S.A. Holland. So it's it's not the D at the end of my last name, just H-O-L-L-A-N at buffalo.edu. It's probably the best place to reach me. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Horns up, baby. Let's go. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I'm going to be if the if UB wins that game because Bono's getting like they're getting like national buzz right now. Right. They're like getting top 25 buzz. Oh, my God. Get out That's of here. Right. Number Get out 23 here. in the nation. Flag. Bonnie's. Don't worry about this. Oh, it, 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 oh man, this unfurled. is gonna be fun. We'll have to do a uh, a Twitter live stream. What else you got for us, Sarah? Um, so there was a lot of uh, talk on social media, specifically this bye week, you know, about Josh Allen. And I saw the little video that the Bills put out. Um, it was a really sentimental piece um, where the Buffalo Children's Hospital obviously unveiled that they um, dedicated, you know, a wing to Josh Allen's grandmother, Patricia Allen, who passed away in 2019. So, you know, it was a really uh, short little video, but it showed Josh Allen, you know, going to the Children's Hospital and um, you got to see him kind of uh, react to the wing and, and you know, he was with all the um, healthcare workers, which was really awesome to see. And, you know, just showing the impact that not only um, Josh Allen has on the city of Buffalo, but, you know, what they're giving back to him as well. So, you know, that was an awesome video to see during the bye week. Yeah. And um, he was actually asked uh, about it today. Um, and he said that it was uh, pretty special because he was able to zoom his family members in. And he, you could tell he was kind of getting emotional about it. Still something that I think uh, it hit it's hit home because it's a it's a great thing. It brought a lot of people together. It brought a lot of like you know charitable uh, money to to the hospital. But at the same time, it's something that you know probably still pretty emotional for him. Uh, he also got asked something else today about I thought was one of the interesting questions. What was that? Um, he was asked if he has ever watched the Manning cast, and you know when asked that question, he was he, he said he's seen it before, but he doesn't think he would be able to provide the right insight. Um, because typically it's, you know, it's veterans on the show, but that if he had the opportunity, he would go on. So what, what do you guys think? Would you want to see Josh Allen on, on that uh, show? I, I think it'd be very entertaining. I know he says that he might not have the insight, but I think they also look for guys that are entertaining. People weren't looking at Marshawn Lynch for, uh, insight in that last game. They're looking for someone that can, you know, hold a conversation, make you laugh. And and that's definitely something that Josh Allen can do. He has that relationship with the Mannings. He says Archie texts him from time to time. Uh, I think he'd be a natural fit on that show. So maybe if he has a really uh, strong performance on Halloween, maybe they'll, they'll surprise him and let him be one of the guests on this week's episode.
Yeah. And, you know, he says that, but I think it's more about like what he's allowed. To, I shouldn't phrase it like that. But, you know, at, his, at his, this stage of his career, Josh is very focused on not saying anything that's going to be a distraction. I think that's just my that's just my take on how he does media. Like occasionally he'll get in a situation where I think he opens up a little bit more like, you know, he does some barstool interviews that I think are fun from time to time and and different things like that. But I think going on a show like that, it's almost like impossible to toe the company line like like Peyton and Eli, the guy shooting stuff around, you know, on ESPN. You know, you, you you're in a situation where you could probably say something that might get you into some trouble. Uh, and what's funny is, it's almost like you could play Sean McDermott and, and Josh Allen's press conference like looped together, and it's almost like you're hearing the same voice at times. Like you just, it, and that's natural. It's it's really natural for a young quarterback who's had the same uh, head coach for his entire career for there to be that shared jargon, that shared like delivery and tone. Like he embodies the the tone and the demeanor of the coach in the way that he talks about football and the process of of what they do. And so, you know, I just think that that would be a situation where it's hard to control it a little bit more, Ryan. That's fair because you just never know what's going to get asked you on live TV. Uh, how that you know? I don't think that the Mannings would go out of their way to try to get Josh to say something controversial. But you're right; he's very careful. Uh, a lot of those Bills players in the locker room are, are careful. They don't give bulletin board material. They give very scripted answers, very Sean McDermott esque, as you said. So m- maybe it's just one of those things where uh, they, they get together in the off season or something like that. I know that wouldn't be a Manning cast, but he's done other shows on ESPN. I could see them maybe sitting down and doing something then. All right. We're going to get out of here on that note. Um, if you're hosting a large party this weekend, maybe you're not going to the game or you're hosting a large party at the stadium, which those are usually the funnest. Check out Tops' huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. Make sure you email Sarah Holland so she knows where you're going to be on Sunday Bills versus Miami Dolphins will be back on Friday night. Marcel Louis Jacques back in the house. We're going to preview this game one more time with our buddy. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you this weekend. The Bills are back. Let's go. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.